Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Hear the full show on our app, by podcast, or on 96FM.ie. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. Government have been trying to say this has been unpredictable, but they need to be more creative and ambitious than that. I've had to go and set up a petition to try and get this over the line. I brought it to our minister. I brought it to the department. Nobody is listening. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96FM96FM96FM96FM96FM96FM96FM96FM96FM96FM96FM96FM96FM96FM96FM96FM96FM96FM96FM96FM96FM96FM96FM96FM96FM96FM96FM96FM96FM96FM96FM96FM96FM96
the Arctics were supposed to arrive the following day, but there was a slight hiccup in mm. a, a delay at Dover. So we decided to do yesterday what we should have done, what we were supposed to do last, which was the big shop to take stuff around because in, in some of the supermarkets at the cash and carries there, it's much cheaper to shop there. There's no vat and food or anything like that. So it is much, much cheaper to, to do a lot of um the stuff that they need to get that there. So we did all that yesterday and finished up very late last night. We were in Tarnoff yesterday and we were in Krakow and um, went to the train stations, you know, just to show um, <clears throat> why we were doing what we were doing, you know, uh, you know, for people to kind of make a record of it. And the lads that were with us, some of them, it was their first time there. And uh, they were just, you know, cut straight to, into their heart, like, you know, when they, when they got there and just saw the children the mums, the grandparents, you know, the, mm. the old people and people with disabilities, of which there were many, and they just all sitting around in the train station, particularly downstairs. When you walk into this train station, right, there's a big, huge monster shopping centre of floors and floors and floors of every designer shop you could possibly think of. And it's fascinating. And, oh, restaurants everywhere you go a fish restaurant and another fish restaurant mm. you know Italian everything from all over the world all over the place and um, then you go down to the basement where the train station is and then you see it's a different world down there all the people that are you know the, the refugees that are down there that are sitting that have just arrived that have come in and all the help stations that are set up for them they're vast and the people are queuing up for to get food to get changes of clothes some makeshift beds are set up for those that are suffering with exhaustion and you see parents being taken in and being you know put down you know lay, lay down on the beds with their children so that they can rest and they're giving them all these drinks you know the help to kind of get a bit of energy back into the body you know to build mm. up what they've what they've lost and stuff and it's just very very sad to see that and then um you see people queuing up then for food for clothes, you know, for footwear, for stuff, because a lot of them are arriving with clothes on their back. They don't even have time to pack a bag. So they have nothing and they're getting clean underwear and then they're taken someplace where they can shower and get into the clean clothes. And then the long wait for, for them begins and they sit around the train station and sleep there. You see the children, you know, that might be belongings, you know, just mm. belonging to the family, like maybe just gear bags or stuff. And the children are plunked on top of those, like for to sleep, because there is no, not enough sleeping area there for, for all of them. And it, just to see the cues of the people and to see the pain in their faces and to see the tears, the crying, they're all on the phone, crying, 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 and they're talking to their loved ones back in Ukraine. And they're historical. It's very, very hard to look at. And it's hard to see the children, like, saying hi, you know, mm -hmm. to their daddy, like, back in, in Ukraine, or to their grandparents. And the children are crying, the mums are crying, they're all crying, the elderly are crying, you know, those with disabilities, like we saw one lad like sitting in a wheelchair and um, he was um, he, he was crying and trying to talk to whoever was on the phone to him and he was crying and geez, it's just heartbreaking to see what we're seeing, like people that are just totally, uh, every, their whole lives have been turned upside down and they're just walking around with whatever bag they have up in their back and some mm -hmm. of them may have, you see children, you know, as young as three and they're trying to pull it, you know, those little school bags on wheels, they're trying to pull them behind them and they're all rowing in to see, you know, to, to bring what they have in their possession with them. And it's just awful. You just, there are no words 
kids and the lads, like they all went in, you know, not expecting to see. And as I said, we had come down through the floors of this fantastic shopping centre. Mm. And when we got down there, it's like a whole new world. Now saying that and the Katrina, Polish volunteers are incredible. You were over there a couple of weeks ago and obviously now we're we further into the war this time around. Is this yeah. is, Are the scenes similar to what you had seen the first time around or has the suffering of the people become much worse now as the war goes on? I think the suffering is much worse now and, and we're seeing a lot more. And um, they're expecting a lot of people in within the next week or two because they're expecting further strikes, you know. Uh, yeah. And that's kind of the one thing that everybody is saying. And um, so they're they're all fearful, but they're, they're you know, geared up for it. They're, they're ready for it. But then they say, like, when people are coming in, that the people that are coming in are never ready for what they have to face because it's so traumatic and it's not normal and they're coming in worn out. Children are exhausted and collapsing. They're so tired. And you see the, the army and the policemen lifting them in their arms and sometimes with the hand around the mother trying to lift her as well just to get them and to let them lie down where they could just kind of, you know, have a bit of a rest mm. or something. But they're pitiful. They're really, really very, very pitiful. And Katrina, of course, some of the evacuees have already settled here in Cork and we will be speaking to one of them shortly. But do you know yourself, have you come across many of them here in Cork? How are they doing since they've arrived here? You know, the, I, I, I think in, in the early days when they come here, they don't know what way they feel and they don't know where they are and they're not used to us, like, you know, and, mm. you know, people then just assure them that they're safe and stuff like that. And I know a lot of them go for to, for to get a PPS number over in Hanover Street and the people over there will send them over to us for a bit of food if they need it and, uh, and they might need some toiletries and stuff. And they're a bit bewildered, you know, because mm. I suppose that's, that. like one girl, you know, came back with us, Larissa, and her, her little son, Matthew, and... Um, they, she she was just petrified and worn out and suffering with extreme pain at the loss of her husband and her family. And her sister had got in the week before. They're staying with people that they would have known from their time coming over with Chernobyl, you know, when mm. the children were... So they had been coming to Cork since they were six. So naturally, when the war broke out, the, the people that they had stayed with reached out for them to get them into the country. But they had to leave all their family behind them. Her mother wouldn't leave because that's where she's from and she felt she was too old to leave. So she came back to Cork broken in bits with us and crying and so, so unhappy. It was actually done. (coughs) Lokeef brought her back. He's a a journalist with the Mm. Echo. And we, Donald went left early with her to bring her back because she was so traumatized. And they, they were all actually the same as what she was. They're devastated. They're crying. They're worn out from crying. You can see mm-hmm. their eyes. They're black from crying. And you just look at them and this. And the volunteers are very touched by the children. Yesterday when we were in Krakow, <coughs> when you step outside the train station, there's three big, huge monster tents set up. Mm. And again, it's beds, it's medical aid, it's food, it's clothes, it's if they need um, wheelchairs, crutches, you know, disability aids and stuff like that. They're all there. They're for them. So everything is outside, the same as what's inside. But the, the tents are huge. And the, there was volunteers giving children balloons 
And I swear, it, it was just to see the children get the balloon and to see that small bit of a smile coming on the child's face. And one kid started running around with his balloon and the other kids started to follow. And we were watching them. But the kid's balloon took off. Yeah. And one of our volunteers ran after the balloon and he wasn't stopping for no one until he got that balloon because the smile that was on that child's face just left it again. And you could see that just the anguish in the child's face when the balloon went was like, something's happening to me again. He couldn't articulate it because he was only a kid, but it was there on his face. So the volunteer, Colonel, Colonel Thomas, he, he got it and he came back and he gave it to the child and the child just hugged the balloon to him and you could see the smile coming back on the child's face as the child looked at the balloon and looked at Connell and mm-hmm. Connell came back like and he felt you know how we all felt what he felt in that moment we just felt like that we're doing the right thing because these people are in a cruel hard and Katrina I think everybody understands that but I think you know just even from the comments that we've been getting here on the show over the last couple of weeks I think people are a bit um, resentful maybe of the help that Ukrainian people are getting when there's so much suffering here in Cork and other parts of Ireland I mean we're hearing of so many people who are waiting for a home and living in um, squalor and who haven't got enough food for their own families are you seeing a lot of that Oh, our numbers have increased dramatically. And again, what I have to say on that, I say it all the time. And, you know, any chance I get, I do say it. This is the job of our government. This is what they're paid for. They're paid to look after the people inside in their country and the people in the country will look after others that are suffering because that's our human nature. Back in Ireland, that's what we do, the Irish. We look after everybody and we look after each other because if people weren't looking after us to help the people that we're looking after, nobody would be looked after. Mm. It's the government's job. They have to take it on board. It's their job and they have to take it on board. That's what they're being paid to do. We should have no homeless in Ireland and anyone that's homeless and that has issues going on. We need treatment centres. We need hospitals. We need stuff for people that need this extra bit of help. Mental health, everything. There should be no people on trolleys, you know, Mm -hmm. as as a country that's operating as a country without anybody from any other country being inside in our country, but those that are actually living there. Like, our country should be operational and fully functional. It's not. And that is the job of the government. It's the job of all our politicians and previous governments and whatever. It's been happening a long time. It's gone on much, much, much too long. Uh, and it, it's the time has come for it to say stop. You're get angry, Katrina. Right, I can a, hear it in you. I'm You're angry. angry. Yeah, I'm very angry because there's we see the suffering back in Cork. We, you know, from people, you know, just that we know that we grew up with people that we know somebody belonging to having to come to us. They don't want to be in that position at all Mm. but they have no other choice when they have no food to put on the table by the time they pay most of their bills and I don't say all of their bills because there's not very many people out there now that can pay all of their bills on time and they're paying Peter you know taking from Peter to pay Paul and doing that and I would be very very angry and I can understand why people are feeling this because the government uh, it's like we're pulling out all the stops. Stops should be pulled out for everybody. And if the government had been pulling out stops for our own country all along, 
our country would not be in the condition that it's mm. in today and nobody would be worried about who we're helping or feeling hard done by. But can you blame people for feeling hard done by? You the stuff really. should be pulled out for yeah. everyone. End of. And, and Katrina, it's as simple as that. Before I let you go, are you looking for anything? Do you need anything for the work that you're doing both in Cork and um, over in Poland? Well, do you need money, food? Can people drop d- it off at d- penny dinners if they know, need to? They, they can. They can. People can can do it. We're here now at Lechaisk and we have the makings of a field hospital of which we're delighted with. And this is going right in to set up a field hospital for people there. But we need it back home as well. We need it everywhere. And like, you know, we're good to everybody. Like we have people that come to us from, you know, Afghanistan, from Romania, from all different places that need our help. And we look after them. We also have volunteers from Afghanistan, from Romania, from Poland, from all over the world that are volunteering inside in penny dinners. And we all work together. So it's, it's you know, when you're in a position to help, we do. And this is what the Irish, I suppose, are famous for mm. worldwide and what we're good at. But I suppose it's Easter Sunday. We probably, Easter eggs will always be very, very, because we give everybody that comes to penny dinners on Easter Sunday an Easter egg. They just love that little bit of a treat. And it reminds like the older people, it reminds them of their time growing up getting the Easter egg, like from their families as well, you know. So uh, you're never too old to get an Easter egg. Well, that's for you sure. Know, <laughs> our, our little treats even. Yeah. Everybody everybody loves one little Easter cakes, anything at all. And anything that, you know, that anybody can give to us, we're grateful for. Okay. And we are planning another trip to come back like with other people that are that are going to come out here and we, we'd probably have to stop the night because we'd be exhausted from yeah. it because this isn't easy being out here but when you see who you're looking after and when you see the fear or whatever the words are I couldn't describe them, but horror would be one mm-hmm. word that I would use and do you know if you look back on any of Hitler's time and you see people you know queuing up and being you know walking through that's what it's like at the border. They're just coming through and it's like that. They're heading into the unknown and, and, and they're afraid. Well, Katrina, that's why we need people like you. So mind yourself when you're over there. <laughs> we'll catch up with you when you they're, come back. They're looking, they're looking after me really, really well. <laughs> Good, I'm glad to are. hear it. They're like a whole lot of bodyguards. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Katrina. Let's look after yourself Thanks, and safe journey Fiona. back home. That's Katrina Toomey yeah. from Cork Penny Dinners. And as, as she said, if anybody wants to help out, they can drop any food or Easter eggs or money down to Penny Dinners on Little Hanover Street. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork loves the arts. We do too. That's why we bring you the Arts House. Every Sunday on Cork's 96FM. Hi, it's Elmarie. Join me on Sunday morning when we take a look at what's happening in the arts in Cork and help you plan some great nights out at the theatre or see the latest films on release, catch a brilliant music gig or find the perfect book to get stuck into. The Arts House. Sunday mornings 8 to 10. With Griffin's Potatoes. Straight from our soil to your table. Griffin's Potatoes are simply nutritious and delicious. Courts 96 FM. Can we just talk? 
The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 0818 96 96 96. On Cork's 96FM. Now, before the break, we were speaking to Katrina Toomey of Cork Penny Dinners and she mentioned the Ukrainian refugees who have come to settle here in Cork. And one of them is 18-year-old Elisa Selenko. And she has written an article in this week's Tripe and Drishin. And it's called, In My Own Words, From Kiev to Cork. And we've shared this article on our Twitter and she joins me now. Good morning, Elisa. Hi. Hello, welcome to Cork. Thank you. Elisa, uh, you wanted to be a journalist when you were living in Kiev and you were studying to be a journalist, is that right? Yeah, I wanted to be a journalist and I was studying in Tarasuchenko University, which is in Kiev. And then uh, what kind of journalism did you want to do? Was it like heavy news or did you want to do more kind of uh, celebrity type work or radio, newspaper? Yeah, I guess uh, the most suitable thing for me is like uh, TV and radio stuff, uh, like uh, celebrity journalism, I guess. Yeah, okay. I like it very much. Very good. And tell me then, so the the war broke out then in your country back in February and you had to flee your city of Kiev, is that right? Yeah, yeah, it's right. So just tell me how that was for you to have to, to leave your home like that. Yeah, it was pretty scary. Uh, like at first I couldn't even realise that the war began. Yeah, uh, I like... Uh, was very scary and it was uh, uh, very difficult to leave my own country, own city, by my own. Yeah, it was very hard. You left on your own, you left the country on your own, you said there. Um, Are your family still back in Ukraine? Yeah, my family now is in Western Ukraine. Yeah, because it's more safe there. And are they okay? Yeah, they're quite good. And you left, so so your family left uh, Kiev and they moved to Western Ukraine. And how did you yeah. then get to Cork? How was that journey for you? Uh, it was quite long because uh, I moved from Western Ukraine to Budapest at first by train. Yeah, it was quite long. And uh, yeah, and then from Budapest, I was in Budapest like for two days. I lived in some volunteers family, yeah, which I found through the like Ukrainian websites to help mm-hmm. Ukrainian people find the shelter. And then from Budapest, I went to Ireland to Dublin by plane. Yeah. And you were talking in your article, Elisa, about that train journey and it was 10 hours long and there was no seat when you got on the train. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was completely no seats because a huge amount of people, uh, they wanted to leave uh, Ukraine and that's why it was very difficult to stand with my baggage on my hand. Like, yeah, it was very difficult and very tiring. It must have been very upsetting as well. Yeah, yeah. Some bad thoughts, yeah. They came in my head, like, obviously. Um, and were you talking to other people on that train? I mean, you know, were, were Ukrainian people prepared for this war? Was it completely, you know, just a shock for everybody? 
Yeah, it was completely shock for everybody. Like nobody could even imagine that uh, something will happen. Yeah, it, uh, we wasn't like prepared for that. Yeah, we had like uh, not uh, huge baggages, and uh, we yeah we was completely shocked about that. All people who, with whom I spoke to, yeah, was completely shocked about it. I mean, I don't think that we can really fully imagine what it must be like where. You were living yeah. in Kiev, normal life. You were in university studying to be a journalist. And then one night you just heard the air raid siren yeah. and then bombs went off around your home. Yeah, it was yeah very like unpredictable and scary. And then, um, Alisa, you came to Cork and you are living with a family over here. It's a, a friend of your dad's, is that right? Yeah, yeah. That's right. And how are you getting on in Cork? Are you settling in okay? Yeah, everything is okay. I'm completely in love with the city and uh, all people are very friendly to me. Uh, yeah, and uh, I'm very happy that I'm here. And you said in your article as well that you want to use your time when you're here to help other Ukrainian refugees who come here. Yeah, yeah, it's completely true. And wh- how do you want to help them? What do you want to do? Uh, yeah, I want to do some volunteering and maybe to work uh, to help some Ukrainians. Yeah, I wanted to have like some job in like department to help some Ukrainians who come there. And also, uh, not far away from me, uh, the new shop is opened, like the shop for humanity help for Ukrainians. And mm-hmm. I also want to like uh, to be there and to help Ukrainians to work there yeah it would be good yeah I do my best I try my best like to do it and would you like to complete your studies then in journalism would you like to to study a bit more here yeah yeah I'm thinking of it yeah I'm like finding some opportunities to do it yeah and you got, um, you had your first article printed in the Tripe and Rasheen, as we said at the start, with your byline, with your name on, on it. And um, what yeah, was that like yeah. to, to see that? It was, yeah, it, I was very excited because, yeah, it's my first published work. So, yeah, it's so exciting for me that this article is published now. Yeah, I'm very <laughs> happy about it. Fantastic. And where did you show it to your family? Of course, yeah, I shared the link and all my family read it, yeah, and they say they are very proud of me. I'm so happy about it. (laughs) And so they should be, and you should be so proud of yourself as well. I mean, I can't believe that you're only 18 years of age and that you had to leave your country, leave your family behind, go through that long journey all by yourself, come to a completely unknown country and unknown city and you know it must have been so scary and so emotional for you yeah it was really like that yeah all my family say like I'm so brave and yeah I feel like that (laughs) and um, I suppose you'd be hoping to have some more articles printed would you yeah yeah of course I hope uh, I will print like yeah a huge amount of them yeah because I'm very interested in it and I have something to say yeah I think I have to say my stories yeah have you told them that that you're going to be on a Cork radio station (laughs) 
Yeah, <laughs> I told them. <laughs> well, we will have a podcast extra of this later on and you'll be able to send it to them as well. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Elisa, just with regards to the war, um, like, what do you think is, go- like, do you think it's going to go on for a long time or can you see any end to this? Mm-hmm. Well, it's very difficult to predict. Uh, of course, I hope it will end like as soon as possible. Yeah, but I'm not sure about it. Yeah, because uh, yeah, because it's very difficult to predict it. We even couldn't believe that it would happen. So I don't think it will end like very fast. But I really hope. I really hope that it will end like as soon as possible, and all my family will be safe, and mm. all Ukrainians will be safe. Yeah, it's my like the best dream, I guess. And um, you, you're obviously very proud of your country for the way they have stood up for of themselves. Course. Yeah, and and your president. Yeah, I'm very proud of him. Like, uh, yeah, his speeches are very powerful, and they bring me like calm and like patriotic. Yeah, and uh, I guess uh, without him, we wouldn't like. Uh, fight as well as we fight so yeah i'm very proud of our president and my nation my country yeah i'm very proud of them okay and um so so you don't know how long you're going to be in cork now so i hope that um it all goes really well for you have you been able to meet up with fellow ukrainians here in cork yeah, we uh, like even uh, try to help some Ukrainians. Yeah, because some of them live at the hotel near our place, and we try to get them like uh, some clothes and some other things, some necessities. Yeah, with uh, a family with whom I live. Yeah, we try to help them, and yeah, so I can communicate with them to contact. And yeah, it's very good for me. Okay, brilliant. Well, you should be very proud of yourself and thank you so much for joining us on the show this morning, Elisa. And um, if anybody wants to read your article, it's called In My Own Words from Kiev to Cork and they can find it on the Tripe and Rishin website. And as I said before, we're sharing that article on our Twitter. Uh, we've just had a comment in from Jimmy to say good morning Fiona just to let you know the first cruise ship in a few years is arriving in Cove today just outside the harbour at the moment should dock Quayside in Cove about 10ish so things are nearly back to normal here May and June and going forward nearly one coming in each day some of these guys are huge between passengers and crews some have 8,000 people on board it's like a town visiting a town some are 18 decks high worth seeing these Jimmy well thanks Jimmy and actually we are going to be looking at this in um, a little while we have uh, somebody from Cork or from Cove coming on uh, just after 10 to talk about it so uh, we will be looking at the, the, the cruises coming back and what it brings to Cove and thanks very much for getting in touch with that Jimmy Can we just talk the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Can we just talk? 
Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. Welcome back. Fiona in for PJ today. And PJ will be back on Tuesday after the Easter break. And if you are at home this Easter and looking to have some Easter treats that you would maybe like to bake yourself, um, Ali Crowley from the Cinnamon Cottage is here to talk about some recipes. Good morning, Ali. Good morning, Fiona. How are you? I'm very well. I'm very well. Thank you for joining us. Um, Easter is associated with several different uh, foods, most notably chocolate, but um, also (laughs) Simnel cake. Now, I have to say, I have never tried a Simnel cake. Uh, What exactly is in it? Well, Simnel cake is like a lighter fruit cake. So you'd have your traditional Christmas cake at Christmas time with your marzipan on top and your white icing. So what Simnel cake is, is it's a layered fruit cake. So you have your marzipan in the middle and then another layer of marzipan on top. So it's lovely. Yeah, it's really nice. And can you make that, uh, you know, the way with the Christmas cake, you have to make it for a couple of months beforehand to let it settle. Um, Is it the same with the Simnel cake or can we take into making it tomorrow now? Oh, you could totally make it tomorrow. Um, like fruitcakes kind of mature, but they last for ages, which is why Simnel cake is so popular because it was made traditionally for Mothering Sunday where um, servant kind of girls in domestic houses would bring it home to their families so it travels well and things like that. Right. But all of the ingredients you can get in your local supermarket, um, just mixed dried fruit and things like that. Um, and it takes, the only thing it takes about two to three hours, like a fruitcake to cook. But once it comes out, you just put a little dash of whiskey or something on top to make it nice and rich. And then you top it with your marzipan and it can be eaten once it's cooled down. So you don't have to wait months and months at all. Okay, so how do we go about making it then? Okay, so making it isn't difficult. If you don't have like a family recipe, we always say homemade is best, even if it looks a little wonky coming out (laughs) of the oven. You know, homemade is definitely tastes better. But go buy a recipe by either Mary Berry or Dorina Allen. They are foolproof. They are tried and tested. You can't go wrong with them. Okay. Um, Mixing the ingredients and putting it all together takes only about 20 minutes, like weighing it out and putting it together. So it doesn't take long at all. It's kind of an all in one method where it all goes in. You cream your butter and your sugar and then you add everything else in um, nice and slowly. Um, A little trick for it is with fruitcakes is just to line your baking tin with two layers of baking parchment because it's in the oven for about two hours. Mm. You don't want it to dry out. So maybe two um, layers of baking parchment and just pop it in the oven and um, away you go and your house will smell amazing if anything else. And obviously if it's going to be in the oven for two hours is it at a low temperature? Um, it can be yeah so depending on the recipe some people go in high for maybe the first 20 minutes to mm. allow the cake to set and then it will drop down so just go with the instructions of the recipe that you're using. Okay. And another popular yeah. treat then as well, and I suppose it's in around the same vein as a similar cake, would be the hot cross bun. Now, I have to say, I absolutely adore hot cross buns. I love to toast so them and I. smother them in butter. <laughs> but my husband hates them. He hates the smell of them. And uh, if I get them, then I end up eating them all myself. So <laughs> I know, I know. It's, um, it's a curse. It <laughs> is. But it's, yeah, no, they, they're delicious. They're so, so good. Mm. So they're around for years and years. And like traditionally, they're eaten on Good Friday because... Jesus was crucified on Good Friday, hence the cross on the top. Um, But nowadays we eat them throughout typically all of Lent. Mm. Um, And but if you have a tooth like yourself and myself, (laughs) I'd eat them all year as well. Um, But 
they can be a little difficult to make if you're not used to things like using yeast and kneading and proving, which means you're kind of stretching out the dough and then allowing the air to go into it to make a nice fluffy bun. Right. Um, but again, if you can find videos on YouTube how to do this, you know, um, there's no problem with that. But again, all the ingredients you can get in your local supermarket. You could leave out the mixed spice and cinnamon and lemon, you know, like your husband may not yeah. like those. You could put in chocolate chips instead if you wanted to, you know, yeah, change okay. it up a little bit. So yeah. there's, there's no problem with that. But again, it's, it only takes about... 20 minutes to mix the ingredients together. It's just about two to three hours because with hot cross buns, you have to knead it, which is stretching the dough mm-hmm. and allowing it to rest for an hour three times. So that's three hours. Right. But you could get on with other jobs, you know, in the house or, you know, getting lunch ready or things like that. Or so, watching TV. Um, <laughs> or watching TV or doing nothing at all. Exactly. <laughs> um, but and if you had left over, just say if only one person eats them, you can freeze them and you can make like a lovely bread and butter pudding using hot cross buns right. or chocolates. Yeah. So they make great um, puddings as well so no waste absolutely no waste and how do you get that lovely brown glaze on the top so it kind of comes out with a little it comes out a little brown but a little trick you could do is if you had like apricot jam at home or a golden syrup you can melt that down a little bit mm. and you brush it on top when they come out of the oven and it holds that lovely glaze then and what about the white cross then how do you make that so that's made from just mixing water and flour. Very simple. Um, oh. And you just pipe the little cross on top. It's just a very simple mixture altogether. And if you if you don't have like fancy piping bags, you can roll up some baking parchment to make a little piping bag, a homemade one. You mm. don't have to go buy one and just chop the top off it and it'll pipe a little um, cross on the top for yourself. And do you do that before you put it in the oven then as well? Um, so yeah, so you can put that in be- before the oven or again, follow the recipe. Sometimes they say like halfway through, okay. depending. So um, stick to the, the foolproof ones anyway. And obviously like chocolate is a big part of Easter and, um, you know, the Easter eggs are flying around the place and like myself yeah. and the hot cross buns, I also love <laughs> the chocolate as well. Um, but if you were to start, would you, would you have a nice recipe for um, maybe even for Easter Sunday, if you wanted to have a kind of a chocolate based dessert? Yeah, so ultimately Easter really is about kind of kids and bringing family together Mm. and having everyone involved, you know, so you have your Easter egg hunts, like you said, um, and it's really just kind of getting the kids involved um, if there's people around. So if you had children around, you can always do like a Rocky Road tray bake. You can get Mm. those coloured eggs and put it through it or anything that you kind of have lying around at home. It's great fun to make there isn't really cooking involved in it and it tastes delicious and you can decorate it up um, on a plate or um, a great one I find is like Easter egg nests that you can make with um, maybe Rice Krispies or cornflakes and you use kind of golden syrup and Mm. chocolate and then you mold them just into little nests and you can put your coloured eggs in the middle. So they look lovely on your Easter table and then they're kind of yummy to eat as well, obviously. Yeah, they sound it. They sound amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and Ali, just with regards to chocolate, I know um, it's used in a lot of savoury dishes, particularly things like chilli. Um, but yeah. is it is it popular here, putting putting chocolate into savoury dishes? Um, 
It is and it isn't. Like, it really is just kind of the contrast with kind of spicy things. Um, mm. You see it pop up in different recipes. Um, I'm kind of on the fence about it myself. Do you yeah. know, sometimes it adds, it, it kind of adds, you have to use dark chocolate because it has that, you know, um, richness to it. And mm. um, so when you put it into food, it's not really the chocolatey sweet that people think. It's more a kind of a rich undertone sort of. Um, but there's plenty of recipes out there that people can try if they're real chocoholics that they can real throw it into a sauce. Yeah, because I got um, the chocolate chips one time and I put them into porridge and I love chocolate and I love porridge, but I didn't really like the two combined, I have to say. And I, yeah, yeah I, I, I don't know. I think chocolate for me is definitely more for, for you know, sweet sweet treat rather than putting it into savoury. Now, um, you know, if it's in the... I have put it into chilli as well, but I didn't really... I don't know, I wasn't hugely a fan of that either. So maybe I'm not a true chocolate, am I? (laughs) I don't know. I think you you kind of eat it as a dessert or, you know, Mm. you're kind of used to eating it with like a cup of tea or something like that. Um, But I I was the same. I think I tried a a chocolate beef dish Mm. um, and it wasn't really for me, but um, each to their own, I always say. And it's definitely fun to try all those different things. Absolutely. And maybe somebody out there this morning has a really nice recipe, savoury recipe that they have chocolate in and they could let us know 0833 96 96 96 or 0818 96 96 96. So Ali, for yourself then, um, I know you're the head chef at Cinnamon Cottage. So will you take a break over Easter now? Will somebody in your family cook the Easter dinner for you? (laughs) Well, I'm I'm very lucky now. I have to say I'm my mum is hosting um, a lovely uh, dinner down on Sunday so we're busy as bees inside the cinnamon cottage now today Um, the team are great and they're working so hard the place is bedecked with um, (laughs) simnel cakes and hot cross buns and we ran a lovely Easter competition for kids around Cork to draw a a lovely drawing and to win a gigantic chocolate bunny so we're announcing the winner of that today so it's very exciting so fabulous um yeah so i'm headed down for lunch so i'm being spoiled this, this Easter. <laughs> well lovely well enjoy <laughs> and thank you thanks very so much, much for, Fiona. and thanks for sharing those recipes i'm definitely going to try some of them now although i think my cake would probably be the the wonky shape all right <laughs> it'll still taste amazing don't worry <laughs> i know yeah yeah well listen thanks very much and um happy Easter to you as well. Ali Crowley from the Cinnamon Cottage here in Cork. We were talking there to Ali Crowley of the Cinnamon Cottage and we were talking all things Easter treats and chocolate and I see in the papers today that um, there's a warning to all uh, pet owners that they need to be careful of their dogs this weekend and don't leave any of the Easter eggs lying around because chocolate can potentially be deadly for uh, dogs and the Dogs Trust Ireland is asking people to be extra vigilant this bank holiday weekend. They say that, uh, you know, I mean like many dogs will just eat whatever's lying around so if there is chocolate right lying around they can easily just eat it but it's the biggest toxic threat for them um, it contains a substance called theobromine which can have fatal consequences um, and people are told the signs that uh, your dog has eaten chocolate include vomiting diarrhea a tender abdomen being thirsty or drooling being excitable having a high heart rate and in severe cases seizures so um, I think that's just a warning for anybody with a dog this weekend please be careful and put away the Easter eggs if you have got any chocolate left over but um, otherwise you'd be fine just eat away The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM Hear the full show on our app by podcast or on 96FM.ie
The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. Fiona in for PJ on this Good Friday and just Kate has been in touch to say in light of the terrible situation in Sligo, I hope that people using apps to meet others will take steps to do it as safely as possible. The Gardaí have posted guidelines that people should follow. Take note of them. And thank you very much for that, Kate. And just in relation to those, um, to the death of Aidan Moffat and Michael Snee, the Gay Project have said that there will be a vigil held in memory of those two men who were killed in Sligo on Monday 18th uh, at 6pm in Cork and the vigil is going to be held in Bishop Lucy Park on Monday the 18th of April at 6pm and that's organised by the Gay Project Cork um, who are offering their deepest condolences to the family and loved ones of Aidan and Michael and um, of course we like to express our condolences here from the Opinion Line as well on that very sad event in Sligo now, um, in the last hour, Jimmy was in touch with us to let us know that the first cruise liner was arriving into Cove and it's the first cruise liner in two years since the start of the pandemic. So there's great excitement in Cove this morning. And Joanna Murphy is from the Cove Chamber of Commerce. Good morning, Joanna. Good morning, Fiona. Joanna, this is a big day for Cove. It's the first cruise liner to come in in the last two years. Yeah, I think the last cruise line came in in February 2020. So really the cruise line industry is really important to Cove locally and also to the region. I think there's an estimated 1.4 million that it actually brings to the whole economy um, because not only do you have the passengers and the crew, but you also have all the visitors and spectators that do come down to Cove to see these amazing vessels. So, yeah, Cove is going to be humming today for sure. And uh, Jimmy was saying there that there could be up to 8,000 people on one of these ships. It's like a, a village coming into a town. Yes. Now, the ship that's come in today wouldn't be as, you know, I don't think it's one of the bigger cruise liners, mm. but it's definitely a, a considerable size. And I think they're just docked there. And they're just coming in there now yeah. and they're leaving again at five o'clock. But I do know that um, like we have bands now organised down in the promenade. All the coffee shops would be open, the shops, there'd be craft fair, there'd be, you know, kind of people out doing their bits and pieces. So I always feel that when the cruise liners come in to Cove, it's like almost like it's a festival day, which is fantastic for the whole economy. And as I said, like these ships are amazing looking and people come down from all around the country to have a look at them. Because, I mean, I suppose they're not the norm. And as you you rightly said, Mm. some of them are so enormous, they're like a village on their own. And I suppose, Joanna, the fact that people are coming in and they're, they're docking in Cove for the day and they're wa- they're walking around, but they're going into shops, they're going into bars, they're going into restaurants, they're going into cafes, they're spending money. So it's a huge boost for the economy in Cove. Absolutely. So when they come into Cove, as I, I mean, I suppose they get to see all the different tourist attractions that we have. As you said, they walk around the town freely. If there's enough time for them, some of them get the train up to Cork to have a look at the city. So it's a win-win for everybody. And also, I actually noted there that in 2015, we actually won the best cruise destination in Cove. Mm. Because when you think about it, the ships coming in the mouth of the harbour and they get in, they come into Cove Town, it's so picturesque that a lot of places that the ships would dock up to wouldn't be like that. So I suppose they're having that experience themselves. And the fact that you have like bands there to, to 
create this festival atmosphere as well. It must be great for them to come in and see that. Ah, yeah, absolutely. The town is, I mean, Cove Town works so well together because you you have the Cove and Harbour Chamber, you have Cove Tourism, you have Cove Teddy Towns. Everyone's kind of working together, especially now in the light of COVID-19, that, you know, we all pool together to our resources to ensure that Cove is, is becoming the best place to visit. And definitely, as you rightly said, all these passengers and crew that come off these ships, they get such a warm welcome from all of us. Joanna, do you know how many are coming in this year? <clears throat> 90 ships. 90 ships. And that's so, between yeah, now so they, they, and when does the season end? Oh, I can't exactly remember. I think it's definitely October anyway, mm. but it could. some of them can run into November, depending, you know, which is fantastic. I mean, we're going to have, like, you know what, I suppose... You know, in light of, and I say this for probably every town and village, you know, that we had a lot of people did home staycationing last year. Mm. And like, you're probably going to have some more of that going on this year. Plus, you have the cruise liners coming into Cove as well. So Cove is going to do exceptionally well. And as I said, as long with the region as well, for sure. I say you've really missed them over the last two years, because as you said, it's such a, like, they've become such a part of life in Cove. Yeah, absolutely. Do you know, I suppose from, from my own perspective, I love when I when I go, like normally the ships will come in around seven in the morning and if you go for a walk early, then you get down and you get to see them mm. tying up. But also if we have the pleasure, you know, the luxury of having them stay overnight, when they're lit up at night time, they just look amazing. They yeah. really do because, I, I mean, I've never been on a cruise myself and I love to look into the cruise ship and see what they're what they're up to. Mm. Um, I know I was brought on one using your imagination. I was brought onto one there in Cove um, just to kind of have a walk around and it looked amazing and like yourself I've never actually had a holiday on a cruise and uh, my husband when we got married wanted to do a cruise for the honeymoon and I said no because I thought it would be really boring but I'm actually I really regret now not doing it and I'd love to do one they just look so great and you know I was chatting to Wayne here and the fact that you go to stop in a different town every, every day you get to see so many different places and then like there's such a variety of food places on the ship and there's, you know, the swimming pool and so much entertainment. It just looks great. Yeah, I think it's kind of the cruises. Yeah, I suppose I would have had that stereotype feeling about them as well. But my mum went on a few cruises there over the last, I suppose, pre-pandemic yeah. and definitely I mean you can choose to stay on board you can choose to go off and do the day trips the kids will have a ball with all the different facilities on board the ships mm. so yeah I suppose that kind of stereotype is going for sure because as you said like you're going to have the opportunity to go and see all these towns and villages that you wouldn't normally do anyway yeah, well, this is it. And uh, coming back to, to Cove as well, Joanna, I suppose um, it's a very important year uh, this year for people who are coming in to Cove off the, the cruise liners because it's the 110th anniversary of the Titanic. So there's a lot going on in Cove and uh, to mark that occasion. Yeah, so we actually just the weekend gone, we had the British Titanic Society actually visited Cove. There was over about 100 people there and we commemorated the 110th anniversary of the Titanic, which was really, really special. And we actually went out on um, on a boat out to the mouth of the harbour where the Titanic last anchored and we had the Navy ship there and we had the RNLI and it was really, really special. But also that weekend, there was a gala dinner in the Commodore and I had the pleasure of speaking on behalf of Cove and Harbour Chamber and one of my lines was, and I think it was quite apt, is that when you see the cruise liners coming in the mouth of the harbour to tie up in Cove, it's almost like they're coming home. I don't know, I kind of mm. have that feeling about it. You know, it's it's lovely to see the ships coming in. And I suppose the Titanic has had such an effect, a profound effect 
on Cove, um, that all even all our tourist attractions really signify what happened. And it's such an interesting story for all the visitors coming in to Cove. And, and even from the cruise line visitors coming in, they're mesmerized by how much we've taken up on it with the Titanic experience, the Heritage Centre and all the different other tourist attractions. So very much alive, for sure. Yeah. And actually, um, we will be discussing the 110th anniversary of the Titanic later on in the show as we look at James Cameron's Titanic, the movie. It's actually out 25 years this year. Can you believe that, Joanna? Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) I know. And it's just, and you know what? It's such, I suppose, like the Titanic, it was my first time as president of the chamber um, in Cove as was commemorating it, I found it really, really emotional and it was just, it was gorgeous. And Cove Tourism actually ran an event, the commemoration then on Sunday of last week where we all came together in the town and the band were there and we, um, the Deputy County Mayor Carl Rasperson actually threw the wreath out onto the sea and it was just, it was gorgeous. Mm. And I mean, everybody came together to commemorate what was probably one of the most um the biggest disasters in 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 the maritime history, you know, mm-hmm. but and has left such an everlasting mark. But it it was it was just a fantastic weekend. And when you think about the the, the British Titanic Society, said it was one of their best commemoration events they've ever had, which was oh, great, brilliant. And Joanna, before I let you go, um, just somebody was reminding me there about when um, the people used to say that the airports and the airlines would kill the the cruise liners. But looking at Dublin Airport this morning, I don't think anybody really wants to be stuck in those security lines, do they? I mean, it just looks crazy at the minute. No, I think everyone's going to take full advantage of travelling now and getting out and about. Mm. And I just think that travel is open now. And, you know, whilst we have been curtailed for the last two years you know, as I said to you, there's going to be still a bit of staycationing and going away. Mm. I think people have got to find out find out what Ireland's all about and yeah. see all the different places that they can go to. But of course, you're going to want to go away. Absolutely. Human yeah. nature. Absolutely. I'd love to go away as well, but I don't know if I'd be able for the queues <laughs> at the security checks in, no, in Dublin I, Airport I, in yes, particular. I don't know. I mean... And it's, it's very hard to know what's going on at Dublin Airport because I know Cork Airport isn't like that. So, know, you know, I yeah. suppose, look, it just depends. depends. And especially for anybody who's travelling with children, um, do you know, having to, to endure that delay at the airport when you've got children is oh, just no, not... it's not nice. It's not nice. And if any of our listeners are stuck in a queue there at the airport this morning, my heart goes out to them. OK, Joanna, listen, thank you so much for joining us on the Opinion Line this morning. Thank you, Fiona. And thank hopefully you. the people of Cove have a great day this, today. Both passengers are coming. have a great day. Exactly. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Lovely. Joanna. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Question number 10. What year did Ireland last win the Six Nations? Last won the Six Nations in 2018. You said 2018. You, my friend, have just won 2,000 euros. Oh, yes, Johnny boy, you've just nailed this. Happy Friday. Congratulations, my man. You just nailed 2,000 euro in cash. Oh, lads. Thanks a million. Stacking up the cash. 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 The two grand minute. Listen to play at 7.40 and 8.40 every day on Casey and Ross in the morning. Cork's 96 FM. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. 
Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Quartz 96FM. And thanks to Beaner. <laughs> Beaner has just sent us in a video there on WhatsApp to 0833969696. And it's a video of a Danish supermarket that you have to smile on camera to get into. Uh, so thanks very much for that, Beaner. Thanks for giving us a laugh on this Good Friday. Um, if anybody else has some lovely videos that they'd like to send us in to give us a laugh, it's 0833969696. Now you might be looking, if you are going to get a chance to relax over the bank holiday weekend, you might be looking for a nice book to read. And I have been speaking to Antoinette Tyrrell, who has written her second novel called The Secrets Left Behind. Okay, so I'm joined now this morning by Antoinette Tyrrell, who has written her second novel called The Secrets Left Behind. Good morning, Antoinette. Good morning, Fiona. Thanks very much for having me on. And uh, before we talk about your book, Antoinette, you are um, over in Spain at the minute because you are one of these people who upped and left during the pandemic and got over to Spain. How's life over there at the minute? Um, well, I did indeed. Uh, I, I'm living in Spain now and, uh, well, life is lovely. <laughs> uh, the sun is not shining here today. Um, I'm, I'm uh, in contact with you from a very blustery Spain. We've had, um, I think somebody told me the other day <clears throat> on the Costa Blanca where I am, we've had the wettest winter sorry, the wettest March in 50 years. So <laughs> I almost feel like I'm back in Ireland at this stage. But anyway, sun is due to come out at the weekend. So uh, that'll be all behind us, hopefully. <laughs> we might come back to um, your living and how the move was and, and how that came about and what was involved. But just with regards to your book, The Secrets Left Behind, it's um, it's a book about four different women and the lives that they lead and it follows their lives. So where did you get the inspiration for this book and where did you get the whole idea? Um, so The Secrets Left Behind, it, it's, it spans the period from 1956 to 1982. And I suppose like everybody, Fiona, I was really affected by, um, you know, reading about all the awful stories that came out um, of, of, of how women were treated. Women in Ireland were treated over that period and, you know, issues like forced adoption and mother and baby homes and, you know, really 
terrible, terrible, tragic stories. And I actually, um, I, I ghost wrote a book for a lady um, who who found out uh, when she was she was well into her fifties, but found out that um, her birth mother had been forced to um, to give her up for adoption. So that that kind of got me. Um, gave me the inspiration inspiration for it. And then I also wanted to look at relationships. And I suppose there, there are two main relationships in The Secrets Left Behind. There's the mother and daughter relationship, which I suppose is not something that um, is written about all that often. But um, in, in the case of the story, it's, it's Kate is the mother and Alice is the daughter and they don't have a great relationship. And, you know, that, that leads to, um, to Alice asking lots of questions about, you know, her mother's past and different things. And then the other relationship is Kate and Hugh, her husband. Um, and as, as the book unravels, and I don't obviously want to um, give any spoilers, but, uh, you know, you, you see this couple who have these massive secrets between them and they have gone their whole lives like they're they're well into their 60s when you meet them first and you know they actually know very little about each other so it 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 was uh, it was interesting to to kind of tease all of that out even though the the basis for the novel is um a historical occasions that happened here in Ireland and it's um based in the past the writing of the book is very modern and it's told in a modern way which you know is a reflection of yourself then definitely yeah um so i suppose i'm i'm always a bit i always put a lot of thought into when somebody says the word um historic fiction because to me historic fiction is something that's going to be written in the or based in the maybe 1700s or 1800s yeah. um and as i said part like so so the the kind of main parts of the book happen in 1982 and I was alive in 1982. <laughs> so to call that <laughs> historic fiction, I'm like, really? But uh, yeah, so so I do. I mean, it's, it's, it is a, a modern approach to it. And uh, of course, I had to do a lot of research and especially about the parts set in the 1950s. I had to do a lot of research to, you know, think about how... Um, people lived then and you know what what their their day-to-day lives would have been like which again is something that I uh, I really enjoy doing but of course there's no uh, there's no mobile phones in it and there's no social media <laughs> there's none of that <laughs> um, but yeah aside from that it is you know it's it's a it's a modern take and I think my writing and my publisher actually Spellbounder my publishers and, and they said that when we were going through the editing process with the book and um, they said they, they called me a very crisp writer and I don't delve into very decorative or flowery language um, and I suppose my, my career before um, I started uh, writing novels I was a business writer so maybe that's something that, that stems from that. So the book is kind of geared towards everybody really, but in particular women and and the female audience. I think it is. I mean, I think it will appeal to women. Um, it's it's female stories. I said it's it's that mother daughter relationship, the husband wife relationship. Um, I've had reviews from a number of of men who really liked it, so I don't <laughs> I don't want to lose out any potential readers. Um, but yeah, you know, it's it's maybe book book club fiction. Um, and it is uh, yeah, I, I'd imagine when when I'm writing it and thinking about who will read it, I suppose I'm. Uh, I'm writing it primarily for a female audience. You mentioned their reviews. It's been getting really, really great reviews since it was released a couple of weeks ago. 
It is, yeah. Um, so it is. Uh, it's available on on Amazon. You, you know, you can buy it for your Kindle, or you can buy an actual copy of the book from Amazon. Um, but it, yeah, it's got some really nice reviews there, and I think people have been um, given me a lot of praise for you know how the story just very gradually unfolds. So you know, obviously, as as you said, there's four women, and it's quite clear <clears throat> that Kate and Alice that that's a mother and daughter relationship. But then there's these other two women, Nancy and faith and it's not very clear how they come into it and then it delves into their pasts as well and you know as as it as it unfolds um, it becomes clear who all these people are and and what their connection to to each other is you, you mentioned there that um, it's your second book and your first book home from cavendish it was actually set in cork and i know you spoke to us on the opinion line that time when that came out um and that did very well for you as well there is a third book in the making, but um, you don't really know yet where that's going. No, so I, yeah, I, I, I started writing a third novel. Um, I am starting a course. Actually, I'm really excited. Um, I'm not sure if you have heard of Curtis Brown, but they're one of the biggest uh, literary agencies in the world. You know, they represent everyone from Marion Keys to Margaret Atwood, and and they run um, novel writing courses. And and it's quite difficult to to get on onto these courses. But I've been really lucky. I had to submit. Um, samples of my writing and I've been accepted to do one of these courses which starts next week so um, I have the foundations of a novel and they have they have taken me onto the course based on that um, it's it's a little bit it's it's fiction but I think it's a little bit based on my own experiences of um, you know being in a very traditional life and you know, achieving all, I suppose, the the hallmarks of success that, that we're brought up to believe will make you happy. You know, you get the good job and you have the nice house and you do all of those things. And, and for me, it was finding myself in that situation and, you know, obviously realizing how privileged I was to be in that situation, but then suddenly realizing that I wasn't happy and I wanted to do something completely different. And then I suppose just really jacking all of that in <laughs> and, uh, and ending up eventually a couple of years later here in Spain. Yeah. And was that difficult then? Because I was talking to a lady about changing careers and, um, you know, that if you're not entirely happy with what you're doing, that you have to look at various different parts of what's making you not happy and move. And I think the idea of giving up the, the stressful life here in Ireland and moving to sunny Spain sounds great and really glamorous and amazing but has it been a tough tough journey for you and and has that move been quite tough it has it has i mean you know when you're sitting out here and the sun does shine <laughs> by the weekend as i said um you know it's it's there's no denying it's fabulous like it's just gorgeous but this has been, I suppose it's been four years, really. It took me to get here um, after finding myself in unpleasant and unpleasant is how I will describe it. But that's putting it nicely, I suppose, of finding myself in a very unpleasant work situation um, and, and ultimately that leading to um, some mental health issues um, and then realising, you know, I have to find something different for my own to protect my own mental health. I needed, I needed to change, but then 
you're left with the question, what am I going to do? Um, but, you know, thankfully, I have a very supportive partner and a supportive family. And Antoinette, you always had a dream of becoming a writer. So if there's anybody listening to us today and they have that dream and it just hasn't worked out for them for whatever reason, like what kind of advice would you give to them? Yeah, well, look, it's not um, it's not an easy thing. And I suppose speaking specifically in relation to writing books, you know, you need resilience. You really do. Um, I my first novel, Home to Cavendish, that was published by Pool Beg back in 2019. Um, and that was my third novel. So I had written two novels previously to that and sent them out you know, to everybody you could possibly dream of sending them to or sending it to um, and nothing. I got nothing. So I just kept at it and at it and at it. Um, And then again, with with The Secrets Left Behind, you know, I had a novel published, but you really are, you're starting from scratch again. Um, And then I was looking, my my thing was I wanted maybe to to try an international publisher. Um, So I I was lucky to to be taken on by Spellbound in the UK. Um, And and just the my advice is just keep at it. And the other most important thing is to uh, keep reading. Yeah. That's really important. I find, you know, read everything you can get your hands on. And other people's fiction is uh, is really important to read because it's it's good to kind of know and understand how other writers and um, how they write. And you have set up a Facebook page called Irish Writer in Spain. So if people want to contact you directly, they can go onto that page and uh, get in contact with you. They can indeed. Um, so, yeah, it's an Irish writer in Spain. It's a group on Facebook. Um, I'm actually running a competition there at the moment. Um, so if you just join the join the group and uh, like and share the competition post, you can win a signed copy of The Secrets Left Behind um, that I will send you the whole way from Spain. So <laughs> that will be uh, exciting. Um, and yeah, so so if, if anybody has any questions about writing, about moving to Spain or moving anywhere, um, about, uh, I often read, uh, I think the phrase that they use that is often used now is the great reset. And I'm like, well, my life has been for me. So, you know, th- these moves that I've made, it's just been a complete reset set a completely different way of living and doing things so if anybody is interested in talking to me about that um i'd I'd be delighted to to engage with them brilliant and finally then the secrets left behind it is out in shops at the minute um and is it all just all normal good bookshops um, it's in it's in Amazon um, only. It's not in bookshops oh. in Ireland, okay. um, but it's on Amazon. So you can get, as I said, your Kindle version um, or you can, can order your book from Amazon. Fabulous. Brilliant. Thank you, Antoinette. Thank you very much for joining us on The Opinion Thanks Line. Thanks a million, Fiona. We've just had a comment come into us there with regards to Dublin Airport. We were talking about queues of people going on their holidays and queues of people at security at Dublin Airport. And somebody has messaged in to say, I see Aer Lingus operating A321 aircraft transatlantic. Our own Cork Airport can take these aircraft. Many Americans on these heading to Kerry and Cork anyway. So why not land in Cork? It's a question that has to be asked. Thank you very much for that. And indeed, there was the Boston flight from Cork for a little while there, but... um, that ceased um, after a couple of months so it is a question and it's a question that's been asked by a lot of people here in Cork so can we see that coming back here to Cork can we get many the transatlantic flights coming back out of Cork let's know 0833 96 96 96 can we just talk 
the opinion line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. The legend of Luke Kelly celebrates the memory and music of a true Irish musical legend. Dubliner Chris Kavanagh brings his tribute to the legendary Irish troubadour to Cork Opera House on Saturday, April 30th. With tickets on sale now from CorkOperaHouse.ie. Access all areas. Chris Kent returns to the Everyman with his brand new hilarious show, Christy Doesn't Live Here. Chris is set to do two nights at the Everyman with shows taking place on Friday, April 22nd and Saturday the 23rd. Access all areas. You can contact us here at Access All Areas if you have a show, play or exhibition coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us at aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on Side. On Cork's 96FM. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 0818 96 96 96. On Cork's 96FM. Now, if you're at home this weekend and you're thinking about doing up the house a little bit and maybe adding a few touches to brighten up the house, what kind of things are you adding? Like, are the things that you add to your house, um, are they going to date your house? I know that there's a bit of a trend for antiques, especially with sustainability. But, you know, if you buy that lovely antique furniture that looks... Um, maybe it's a nice chair that looks fantastic in the shop but then you put it into your house and it may not look very well or maybe you've decided that you want to cover your walls in flowery wallpaper but it may you know maybe in your head it looked great but then when you put it on the wall it makes your house resemble something from the 1970s so joining me now is Maura Mackey interior designer to give us some tips Maura good morning hello good morning Maura oh hello hello are you okay Oh, I'm. Oh, it must be some mistake. I'm. I'm not Mora. Oh, oh, sorry. <laughs> um, is this Vanja? Yeah, Vanja. Oh, Vanja, Vanja for uh, about. Uh, Balling uh, shed. Hello, how are you? Balling shed. Balling shed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it happens. Oh. <laughs> we have a lot of work. Okay, so you're not going to be giving us tips about how to uh, design your house then Decorate, this weekend? <laughs> uh, yeah, with antique furniture. <laughs> no. <laughs> So, I'm afraid not. Okay, so Vanya, I love it anyway. Vanya, you're talking to us about women's yeah. sheds, of course. So good morning, and um, <laughs> good morning. so so women's sheds, Vanya. Yeah, um, well, they um they they we've all heard about men's sheds, but women's sheds seems to be a yeah. new trend that's coming into uh, into Cork this uh, yeah. into Cork at the minute. So, I I get it. Yeah, I get that impression too. I mean. Uh, I didn't know much about it. I'm afraid about sheds. Yeah. And uh, I have one uh, men's shed in the, my neighborhood. So when I uh, was looking for some uh, facilities where uh, I can uh, do some uh, start some uh, arts and craft uh, studio, mm-hmm. I was thinking, well, why not a women's shed? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I can perhaps a group of women can start a bit of painting or anything related to it, you know, craft and, and, and upcycling or similar. Okay. And, uh, yeah, so we, we, we are actually in the, at the, just at the beginning of, of it, okay, of I'm... that uh, enterprise. <laughs> so Very good. Speak. And so where are you setting this women's shed up? 
Well, we don't actually have uh, any permanent uh, uh, facilities yet. Mm -hmm. So that is something that we are looking for here in Balincolic. But at the moment we are gathering uh, every Saturday at um, Tesco's, um, you know, community um, center. How, how do they call it? It's meeting room actually okay. in the inside Tesco that they are offering everyone for, for free okay. to the commun community. And so we are located there every Saturday to, for started. And so at the minute, yeah. um, how many people are there? Is it a small group of women who well, have come together yeah, to set this yeah. up? Less than 10, I think eight of us. But I, I received a lot of uh, actually interest from Facebook. People are willing to, to participate, to be uh, part of this art um, group, art studio. But to find the appropriate um, facilities, you know, it's very, very hard because we can't afford commercial prices. So mm. it has to be something low with low rent or <laughs> no rent. I think yeah. uh, most of the sheds are, are actually like that, no no rent or, or low rent um, uh, based somewhere in the community. So we are... We are going to try to find something uh, inside this um, uh, yeah. colleague in the community asking for uh, city council, possibly if there is some government okay. uh, buildings unused or, or council halls or something that we can <laughs> start with. And Vanya, have anyway, you been looking start, at you know? the, the men's sheds and, you know, like they, a lot of them around the county, there's a lot around, around the city and the county yeah. and are you looking at them yeah. with envy that they have a premises where they can do all of these yeah. nice things that you'd like to be able to do? Yeah, I, I'm actually, I, <laughs> I didn't have a chance to much work, I'm afraid, but uh, <laughs> that's our next step. Anyway, it's my in my neighbourhood. It's uh, just a uh, I saw this, they have it, uh, an old container, you know, metal mm -hmm. uh, used previously for transport of goods or something that okay. they have transferred, uh, trans, um, what's the word, sorry, okay. <laughs> converted into, uh, yeah, into a shed, a place to, to meet. So that's, that's our next uh, step, you know, to just do. And a lot of the men's sheds, they, you know, the men gather in places and they do a lot of woodwork and they do a lot of craft. Is that the kind of thing yeah. that you're looking for? Or is it somewhere that you can go in and people can do whatever they like? They can yeah. sit and have a cup of tea if they oh, want or, you know, that they'll get involved in arts and crafts. Yeah, I, I actually wanted first initially to, uh, because art is my uh, metier, you know, I, I wanted to find something uh, connected more with art, but now, when I was thinking more about it, I thought perhaps why not include anybody in the in the community that has some interest and hobbies that they want to explore more or share some skills and above all some friendships. You know, we can uh, you know meet and, and talk about life experience at, at the end of the. You know. And you said you that. You said that you've had a lot but, of interest from people on Facebook. What kind of people yeah. are looking to come? Is it just like, you know, are there people of all different ages? Is it people who are looking yeah. to meet people? Yeah, actually, it was, uh, uh, it's adults mostly, but uh, both gender, you know, uh, women and men. So it's, um, I don't know how are we going to make this uh, 
<laughs> been in shed into you know would you be welcome for everyone. to the men or like are they going to be sticking yeah. in their own sheds and then... yeah you know <laughs> yeah why not I mean I don't know it's so funny we don't have that impression of these sheds and things uh, but uh, you know art is and craft is I think a universal language so it's uh, a bit um, difficult not to uh, include uh, uh, men also because yeah. I, I yeah that's that's it's universal you know art and craft and perhaps uh, woodworking also i i actually finished here i came here to finish because i'm in love with furniture and furniture design i i came here and i studied uh, furniture making and designing okay. at the college so that's something that i'm also interested at but most many people are interested in some sort of craft and, and art. But it's, it's I so, hope uh, many other yeah. So if you do get a premises still. to have your women's shed, would you be then yeah. trying to uh, teach the people who come to the shed, you know, what your own skills yeah. are in arts and crafts would, and making yeah, furniture and stuff yeah. like that, and you teach them? Oh, then. that would be such so, such fun. That would be so great. I mean, you know, that you can transfer somebody's, your your skill and your, your knowledge yeah. as much as you, you can. That is so lovely, you know, to share to more, more um, people that are interested in art. I'm always uh, interested in that, you know. Okay, so it can be a, a nice... So it can be a nice place for people to come to maybe learn a new oh, yeah, skill, I but also so. to meet people and to Perhaps, talk to people. Absolutely. At the end, yeah, it's all about, you know, meeting others and, and, and develop some friendships. And it's, you know, it's, um, we are all a bit perhaps alienated uh, in our own uh, little, uh, I don't know, nests or how to call them. But yeah. it's nice to talk about anything and get together okay. with love, you know, art or Okay. So if anybody wants to, um, if anybody has a premises that they think might be suitable, can they contact you some way? Oh, yeah. Yeah. We have a, an email. If Can I can I tell you? Do indeed, yeah. Yeah, it's womenshed. It's one word. Okay. Uh, dot balincolic mm-hmm. at uh, gmail.com. Womenshed.balincolic at gmail.com. Or actually, just on Facebook page, it's uh, Art Room Balancholic. Art it's, Room Balancholic. Lovely. Thank you yeah, very much, Fanya. We'll change that. Okay. Well, thank you for. Best of luck for with that. Your, so. uh, yeah. <laughs> thank Thanks. you. Thank you. And have a happy Easter, Vanya. That was Vanya, f- and she's trying to set up a women's shed, which is a, a great idea for the Balancholic area. Now, we were speaking about travel earlier, and we were speaking about Dublin airport queues, and we were speaking, somebody had commented in about the transatlantic flights from Cork. And we've had a message in from Sean, who says that Air Coach has nearly doubled in price. I've been using it regularly. So thanks very much for that, Sean. Anybody else know? notice an increase in the price of their public transport, be it uh, bus, train, taxis. You can let us know on 083 396 96 96 or 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk?
The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Hear the full show on our app, by podcast or on 96FM.ie. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 9696 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The opinion line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Now, before the news and the break, we were talking to Vanya about setting up a women's shed in uh, Ballancolic, and she was saying that they're looking for premises, that they're finding it very difficult to find a suitable premises. And Bear has been in touch to say, Hi Fiona, I heard men's sheds have great problems with insurance as it's too expensive. Can you explore a little more if you have time? Thanks. Thank you very much for that, Bear. And if anybody is in a men's shed and knows um, about the insurance, is it too expensive to try and insure premises for a men's shed? They can let us know. 083 We've also had an incident here. Uh, we were talking there a couple of weeks ago about uh, couriers and couriers not uh, delivering parcels when they're supposed to deliver them and uh, we've had an incident here in 96FM this morning where a parcel was supposed to be delivered by a courier to a member of staff and the member of staff just got a text message to say there's no one in but uh, we're here on air so <laughs> go figure um, but yeah it's uh, it's an unusual one it's not the first time that it's happened here in 96FM as well so you know people getting messages to say that uh, there's there's no one inside even though we're, uh, we're on air all the time and there's always somebody in the building so um, if you have had a problem with couriers let us know 083 396 Now earlier we were talking to Joanna Murphy about the cruise liners coming into Cove and we mentioned that today is the 110th anniversary of the sinking of the Titanic and to talk to us now is film critic Andy Carroll because not only is it the anniversary of the sinking of the Titanic today but this year marks the 25th anniversary of James Cameron's of James Cameron's movie Titanic. Good morning Andy. Hi Fiona, how are you? I'm very well. Uh, 25 years, I can't believe it's 25 years since that movie was out. <laughs> yeah, I'm feeling very old. I remember going on the Mitch from school to go and see this so I'm going to show my age there as well. <laughs> well I'm a little bit older than you Andy. <laughs> but I remember at the time it was such a mega black blockbuster that you couldn't even get into the cinema to, to see it. It ran for weeks and weeks. Yeah, it was 15 weeks at number one, something which I don't think we're ever going to see again, especially mm. now with like, streaming and so many other films coming mm. out. But kind of lost in that, this was supposed to be an absolute disaster. Like the word on this was this had gone like $80 million over budget. This was going to be like Kevin Costner's film Waterworld. It was going to be the most expensive flop of all time. Mm. And just before it came out, the buzz kind of started to turn around a bit and it and it looked like it was going to be a bit more positive. Like the film was considered to be so bad. James Cameron, the director, didn't take a salary and he had a deal to get money if it made profit. And he said, here, I'll give up my share of the profits as well. And the studio said, well, that's such an empty gesture. This isn't going to make any money. Mm. Don't even bother. 
turned out to be a big mistake because he ended up making anywhere between four and five hundred million off the profits deal. So I'd say they regret not taking him up on that offer. <laughs> and why? It, like, I mean, I know it starred uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet, and the chemistry between them on the screen was amazing. But was that the only? Like, what else was it about that movie that made it so popular at the time? I think it kind of had the perfect storm of everything. And it had something that, you know, a lot of films don't really have now. It had the song, the Celine Dion song, mm-hmm. which was playing just before, which, you know, had the, the music video with the film as well. How many weeks I think it had a little... that as well? That was like an outstanding run for like 15, 16 yeah, years. I was, yeah, that's embedded into my head as well. So between that and the Brian Adams song, I think they're the only two songs that I have saved in my memory. But like you said there, it was something that I think it had a little something for everybody. It had this, you know, love story at the core of it, but it also was this, you know, massive spectacle disaster movie. So mm. if you were, you know, a fan of those type of things, like, you know, the Poseidon Adventure, even Independence Day the year before, where you could see like this, you know, incredible visual of the ship breaking mm. in half or, you know, watching Leonardo DiCaprio become an absolute superstar. Like, mm. it, it's kind of, it's hard to quantify now how big he actually became. It was something more like, Beatlemania or, you know, the Spice Girls is probably the only thing in my lifetime where mm. all of a sudden it's it's nobody to everybody in the world knows who you are. So mm. I think they had that perfect storm was the song, was the director, it was just everything about it at once. And like we're saying, 15 weeks at number one, I don't think you're ever going to see the likes of that ever again. And I remember at the time, some critics were panning it because they said that it was glamorizing this awful tragedy that happened and, you know, so many people died. And yet we had this, you know, as you said, this amazing love story and people were going to see it and that 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 message of the tragedy had been lost in the film. But like looking back at it now, do you think that it was like that? I don't think so. And I think the reason for that is because the director, James Cameron, had such respect for like he done mm. some like he spent more time on the Titanic than the actual passengers now from going down. He's actually built like funded submarines to go and visit the wreck. And I think, you know, you see things like the you know the Titanic Museum. I know there's the Titanic experience in Cork. Yeah. I think he's been somebody who's been able to preserve so much of that. Like a lot of the artifacts, a lot of the, you know, the reconstructions of what that was actually like is because of this film, because, you know, this was so popular and it was made an awareness of it as well. And he's been able to get, you know, things salvaged from the ship or even for big families of the deceased as well that would have been, you know, lost to the bottom of the ocean mm. forever and ever. And he did meet with families, didn't he? Yeah, he did. He had there's a crazy story where he had like 150 extras on the film lined up and he had a backstory for every single one of them of who they were, who their family became and their lineage. So it kind of, he just, you needed someone who had that, you know, mm. you want to say genius, I say an absolute lunatic mind to go in and, and do all of that work behind the scenes. Because I do think he was incredibly respectful of the families as well, which is something you could have just ignored completely. Like everybody with the exception of Jack and Rose Mm. are real characters in the film and the only thing I think there was a there's a scene where the you know the, the captor the architect shoots himself I think that's the only thing where he kind of had issues with the family everyone else was like yeah no that's that seems like a, a fairly fair representation of the families yeah so it was done respectfully then as well yeah I think it was and I think the, the legacy of it as well I think if, had you done it in a disrespectful way I don't think it would have had you know endured as long as it has because of that do you think that like okay it's the 25th um I think it's in November is is the the 25th anniversary of the movie being released do you think that if it was released in the cinemas now that it would still get the same crowds going in No I don't think it would I think one 3 hours 15 minutes 
would turn off a hell of a lot of people to go and see it. And I think, you know yourself, you, you see something, as, I'll say I'll watch something on Netflix. I'm not going mm-hmm. out to spend you know, nearly four hours in the cinema. I think you won't see somebody becoming a star the way you did with DiCaprio and Kate Winslet. I think it's very manufactured now. Mm. And I think he's kind of the last of that movie star person. Like he doesn't have like a big social media influence. You, you, for all we know, but you know relatively little about him. Yeah. I think modern day superstars, they don't have that mystique that he has because, you know, you, they're on, you know, eating chicken mm. wings on YouTube and stuff like that. <laughs> so I think that part of it is gone. I don't think he could. I think this would be, you know, either shaved down to two hours or it'd be a a Netflix or an Amazon series that had run yeah. for six seasons. I think like when when Leonardo DiCaprio um, you know became famous as a result of this film I think everybody expected him to do kind of rom-coms and you know romance films but he went on to become such a serious actor and is still you know one of the most respected actors in Hollywood. He really took a, a different turn in his career didn't he than what people had expected him to do. Yeah, he did. Like he came into this off the back of Romeo and Juliet, and then, mm. like you said, everyone was expecting this is going to be, you know, the new Cary Grant or whatever. Somebody showing my age there again. Somebody <laughs> who's just going to make these, you know, basically the career Matthew McConaughey had up until recently. Mm. But he didn't. He was doing things like, you know, The Beach with Danny Boyle, and now you see him. You know, he was working with Scorsese and then winning the Oscar for The Revenant. He's someone who, I think, got a taste of that and then went, no, I want to be a, a serious actor rather than you know a, a pinup star, which is what people really wanted him to be. And even Kate Winslet, I mean, sure, she's had a stellar career as well after it. Yeah, she became, I think it's kind of the joke, Leonardo DiCaprio became a movie star, Kate Winslet became an actress, like she, I think she's two-time <laughs> Oscar winner now as well. Yeah. And she has, again, and the fact that the two of them have stayed so relatively grounded, like you never mm. hear, you know, you're never going to see DiCaprio go on stage and slap Chris Rock at the Oscars. You're not going <laughs> to see, you know, Kate Winslet drunk in a ditch somewhere like yeah. they for, for that incredible success that they have they managed to stay very focused and you know you've countless Kate, and even this year Kate Winslet had the uh, was it Mayor of Easttown TV mm. show which is absolutely incredible as well so they've able to maintain certainly a 25 year career with very little there's very little in either of their filmographies where you'd say no I, I wouldn't watch that or I didn't enjoy that they've kept very consistent which in that business is, is not the easiest thing in the world to do Do you think that um, because it's the 110th anniversary of the sinking of the Titanic this year and there are a lot of commemorative events taking place do you think that we'll see the movie on the TV now a lot this year I know that there for a couple of years it was always on at Christmas but it hasn't been on I don't think for the last couple of Christmases and um, I ha- like I don't know I've lost count of the amount of times I've actually seen the movie but um, I I think I would definitely sit down and watch it again if it came out on TV again this year (laughs) Yeah and it's one of them that you can kind of jump in at any point like Mm -hmm. you said at Christmas it's the perfect film where you're flicking and it doesn't matter if you know you're an hour in two hours in or if it's just starting you go oh grand the boat's about to sink or oh grand (laughs) just about to see this scene or I'm about to see this woman throw you know her family's heritage into the ocean I'll be screaming at the screen again (laughs) Yeah 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 (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but definitely, I mean, I think even for, say, a younger audience now, as we say, it's out 25 years. So, um, do you know, for us old timers who've seen it so much, you know, there's a younger <laughs> generation coming behind us who might not have seen it. Do you think that they would enjoy it as much as we did when we were younger? I think it does. I had a lot of younger cousins watch it over Christmas there. I think it was the year before last. Yeah. And I think because a lot of the effects were done practically as well, it hasn't aged as badly because, you know, they basically they built the ship. They had all the actors in the water tanks. There's notorious stories of people catching hypothermia and pneumonia from spending you know, 12, 14 hours in this 
you know, massive swimming pool with a boat in the background. Mm. And I think at its core, it's a very simple love story. And I don't think that changes through kind of generation to generation. It's not like you're watching something that's not really relevant anymore. Yeah. Like it's a timeless love story. Like it is set in 1912. So I think it does have that thing at its core that it makes it endure, I think is relevant to other generations. I think that's why it's lasted as long as it did. If it was something that, you know, like an alien invasion or something that a lot of people can't relate to or yeah. don't particularly enjoy. I think that at its core, the story of the two of them is why it's done so well for so long. And even with the, the style in, in the um, in the film, like I suppose there's, you know, that, that kind of style, that old style is, is in Bridgerton, which is so popular now as well. So, you know, I think that people would, you know, love to see that as well. You know, I think that they can, they can appreciate that kind of a, a movie. Yeah. And especially the last two years when I think I've worn nothing but tracksuits and then you see them wearing these fancy tuxedos and clothes. I was like, oh yeah, I remember wearing clothes. That was a simpler times. When the worst thing you had to look out for was an iceberg. <laughs> Andy, listen, thanks so much for joining us on the Opinion Line this morning. Um, anybody else love the Titanic? Would you sit down and watch a, a three-hour film again? Uh, let us know. 083 396 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 0818 96 96 96. On Cork's 96FM. A listener has been in touch to say there's a lot of talk about Titanic and Cove, but, but let's not forget the Lusitania that sank just 12 miles off our coast and many poor souls buried here in Cove from that tragedy. Thank you very much for reminding us of that and of course that the sinking of the Lusitania happened three years after the Titanic and if anyone is looking for something to do that they could always go to the Lusitania Museum which is just on the old head of Kinsale they might want to visit there this weekend and as I was saying earlier if you are looking for something to do in your house this weekend you might want to decorate it so good morning Maura Mackey. Good morning, Fiona. How are you? I'm very well. Maura, I was saying earlier that a lot of people, uh, when they're decorating their homes, they might see an object um, either online in somebody else's uh, house and they might see something in a shop and think, okay, that looks really nice. But then they put it into their house and it just makes their house look old fashioned. Um, So why do some pieces work in some people's houses and some people don't? Or are there pieces that just don't work anywhere and they shouldn't be brought out at all? Well, well, Fiona, there would be certain things, and I suppose from a, a child, I'm thinking back in the time when I was younger that I have certainly gone out and had dated your houses. This, I suppose, the number one thing would be pattern carpet. You mm. know, the brightly coloured floral motif side one. This is not something I said you'll see in the modern home. Yeah. This was something that was more kind of around in the 70s, 80s, even 60s. I suppose nowadays people kind of go for blocks of colour, be it in grey, cream, or like to bring a more contemporary look into the house. And I suppose flooring that's popular now instead of the brightly floral um, motif side carpets would be herringbone wooden floor, porcelain tiles, luxury vinyl tiles. I suppose this will give your home a more contemporary look. Mm. Um, another one that springs to mind and I suppose we can always think of it is the, you know, the dark, shiny, 
kitchens um, they would have been very popular as well um, but I suppose the favourite now would be white I suppose because it's so crisp and clean mm. um, and new popular colours that you see in kitchens now would be grey, greens navy blue and if, the new one is the black um, yeah. I suppose a lot of people would have um, you know your you know your kitchen would be grey, white and they might have a block of colour maybe on their island or something like that and I was just only thinking there will go what was the other one that made me laugh and it, the big one for me is the fl- remember the fluffy toilet seat for your yes. um, years <laughs> God, there was a big thing to have in your bathroom you know definitely that trend is no longer there <laughs> you know what I mean like um you know years ago if you had a pink fluffy toilet seat you were cool and yeah. look cool but it's not now the other thing would be white kitchen appliances I suppose that would have been very popular in the 50s 70s nowadays stainless steel chrome gray and black are more popular or even the integrated options and I suppose this is a kind of a bit of a one that I dislike myself, Magnolia was, not there was anything wrong with it, but mm. it, I think it was so overused in the 80s and 90s. And yeah. um, like I suppose people use this, it was kind of a warm, safe option. Nowadays, people like light colored walls, but with more beigey kind of grey tones. And I suppose there is so many great paint brands out there now, Fiona, like Craftsman, Color Trend, yeah. Farron Ball. Then there's but huge like options not, out there for people. Is Magnolia not, um, I know that it was overused and considered maybe boring, but like would it really make your house look old fashioned? Because um, Magnolia, now when you look at all the colour trends that you have now, Magnolia and one of the other cream or beige colours, there's not really that much difference between them, do you know? And somebody might just pick well, I, another colour yeah. because it's not Magnolia because they think, oh, sh- that's an old fashioned colour. Yeah, well, I suppose Magnolia Fiona would probably have more of a yellow tone in the base of it, whereas the beige and the grey tones would be kind of more neutrally now that they wouldn't, you know, the way, and that's why I think what people are coming away from mm. is that kind of yellowy tone in the walls. They're kind of bringing the more neutral tones, and that's where the beige and the grey tones would bring that in. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And what yeah, about, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. even their shiny plastic flowers? Do you know? I mean, they were um, all on oh trend. Oh, my God. They were. <laughs> they were. They were. They were. People, I mean, I suppose back then they were more for the 80s. People didn't have to buy fresh flowers back mm. then. And I suppose they weren't as affordable as fresh flowers are now. You know, but I suppose, and I suppose the fox pants that are around now, they're actually very real looking. You know, yeah. My so, husband bought me a plant one time, and uh, he was like, "Oh, because he knows that I love plants," and uh, brought it yeah. home. But um, even I didn't notice at first that it was a fake plant. And uh, yeah, you know, that's it was what I'm like, saying. They're really very real, like, looking, yeah. Look, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I suppose if you're not a plant person, I always say people go for the, the, the fox option because I, otherwise you weren't not going to look after them. And another one, do you remember the colour tile, Fiona, in the bathrooms? You could have mm. the green, you could have the orange, the blue. Like that would be certainly not a no, no, no. The big like accessories would be, be, be bold colours, but not on the wall tiles. You know do mean? you think, though, that those will ever come back? Or, do you know, if there even was a trend for that and then everybody went out and put green uh, tiles in their bathroom, but then would that trend be short-lived because, you know, that um, we've moved away so much from that look now? But, like, would, could there be a revival of these things? <laughs> Hello? Oh, we've lost Mara, have we? The, the oh, base wallpaper they were all they were there years ago and now they're all back in again the current wallpaper trends are all animal in nature bold prints now you know so I think we lost you there a little bit I, were you just saying there about the, the was it floral uh, wallpaper that people yeah so the big col- yeah so I suppose before you know the way that you'd always have the floral um, um, wallpaper trends and stuff like that that would have been there years ago whereas that's all back now but it's more animal and nature bold prints now mm. I suppose it's more like you know bring the nature in biophilic design inspired you know okay okay and just like so 
you know, some people might argue, though, that it's a, it's a matter of taste. And I suppose it is for every house, isn't it? I mean, like, even with my I own house there. I definitely think it's now, a personal choice, Fiona. Isn't it? Yeah. Because when we moved into our yeah. house, it had, like, that 1970s fireplace, which is still there, even though we say every year we're going to get rid of it. But um, I just hated it and thought it looked completely out of place. And then my friend came into my house one day and said, oh, I love your fireplace. It's really quirky and cool looking. <laughs> but, but you see, Fiona, you can use these pieces in modern house and... Once it's a personal style, once they're used correctly. Do you know what I mean? In the mm. sense of, I, I always say that to people, and I suppose antique furniture and vintage accessories now, they're long lasting items, you know, and they'll always have a place in certain style homes. And people are actually buying antique furniture and vintage accessories now as investment pieces, you know mm. what I mean? Or because they, they might have got it from a loved one and they're, they're putting them into their homes. So I suppose they can be used once they're used correctly, I think, and they look fab, you know? Yeah, because you can see, like, some people, particularly, I think, chairs never seem to date. Or, like, if you have one old-style chair in amongst the rest of your modern furniture, it looks really good. But um, Mm -hmm. I suppose it's just it's the type of things like with the like the flowery wallpaper or the the lace or or the like or the, fluffy toilet oh my seats. god yes the linen you know the, yeah the, the 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 how would you say the window furnishing you know the that you put the, the lace curtains mm. on go that you'd have on the that you see in every window yeah. for privacy and everything like that whereas now I suppose people all want to have the bright spaces they want to leave the light in mm. so you know, that was, that's what people are thinking about now. They're having their blinds they can pull up and they can have their privacy when they need it. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Amara, yeah. I'll have you, um, with regards to decorating your house at Easter, now my uh, son was asking me to decorate the house at Easter and I um, I didn't uh, think it was a thing. And then we, we, oh, drove, past, thing? Yeah, we drove past a house <laughs> there the other day and they always have fabulous displays at Christmas time and at Halloween and they had a gorgeous display outside for, for Easter and he was like, look, there you go now. So if, if you know, has Easter, has decorating your house at Easter time become a big thing recently? Do you know what? Now I think in the last year or two, like I would have a Facebook group, Note Style Your Home with Confidence, Fiona, and I I actually put up some um, items last week and it just for people and a lot of people came back saying, oh my God, they're such simple tips. And I suppose I the, the ones that I kind of put in is like a dory, you can make it yourself for natural materials. Hmm. You can add some egg shapes or bunny figurines or just, you know what? Now Aldi had some great ones last week. I think they were eight or 10 euro just to hang on your door. The right. other thing is if you have potted plants outside your front door already, add some balloons, ribbons, you know, to plant and maybe put even a few coloured eggs in the pot um, another one that I put is a vignette you know you a lot of people have trays now that they have different things you know or they're in duns they're very easy add a little bun, a bunny figurine to it a candle a carrot or even yeah. some greenery um, and if you have a centrepiece in your home or a plant or something maybe just add in stick, stick in a few plastic eggs you know uh, on a wooden stick or something and I suppose the other thing I said to people if you have lanterns add a bit of greenery add in a bit of a you know like you there's so many bunnies now when people have little cully toys add bunny chicken figurines into them with a few coloured eggs or get a glass vase add some coloured eggs stick some green mm-hmm. roll you know out of the vase there's so many things that you can do now candle holders and you just put the big uh, bunny figurines on top of it okay. and I suppose the old one which always reminds me of Easter is like a little vase of daffodils you know what I mean oh lovely springtime yeah. Easter time but it's just so easy now and I just think that you know, all of us have uh, the kids nowadays. They all get stuff for Easter, and there's always nearly some little figurine or Easter thing with them, or that you get from some relation. So hang on to them and use them, and maybe put them away in a bag under the stairs, and can use them every year. Do you know? Yeah, yeah. Because they even brought home little things that they had made in school. Now I did put them up, so that was <laughs> not mm-hmm. a total uh, uh, Scrooge to, to Easter, but um, just yeah. So it's I was reading there as well during the week about an Easter tree. Now is that something that uh, you see coming in here? 
Well, do you know what now, Fiona? The, an Easter tree can be easily done in the sense of like a lot of people would have those kind of trees that they would have for Christmas that they would put in just a few bobs and they'd put them on a window or on a table. Or, mm. So keep it out if you know that you're going to do a free Easter. But the other thing you could do is literally go out and get a few twigs, right? Yeah. Out of the garden or off a tree somewhere, take the leaves off it and actually stick them into a vase and then just get your few coloured eggs and put them on and maybe a few little ribbons and put it in. And you know what? And put a bit of moss at the end of that glass vase. And it, there you are. There's your, there's your Easter tree. Very easily done and it doesn't cost anything. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, it sounds great. Yeah. 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 <laughs> right, okay. So that's there you go. Now when you go home today, you'll be decorating mad. <laughs> so I'm going to be busy baking Simnel cakes and decorating my house for Easter. There'll be no rest this weekend at all. <laughs> Mara, thanks very They're much for those tips. Small for small, if you want oh, to this enjoy is it. it. This is it, exactly, exactly. Yeah, thanks very much for joining us on the, on the uh, Opinion Line this morning. That was Mara Mackey, interior designer here in Cork. Uh, just in relation to um, the Titanic, we've had a comment come in here to say the movie portrays the awfulness of a horrific disaster and educates at the same time, respecting and memorialising those who sadly passed away. All this with a brilliant romance. It is a classic movie in my view. Thank you very much for that comment. You might uh, want to take part in a virtual run for Marymount. It's in memory of Killian Lawton. He passed away last July after a short battle with cancer just at the age of 24. Um, his family have organised this event and they're asking people to run, walk, hike whenever and wherever they want over the Easter weekend. People can choose their own distance and set their own goals, whether it be a 5 kilometer, 10 kilometer, half marathon or full marathon. It's really up to you. Tickets are €20 Euro with all proceeds going directly to Marymount and the tickets are available on eventbrite.ie. Now, you also might want to do something completely different if you don't want to bake cakes or um, if you don't want to be watching movies or if you don't want to be decorating your house, you could go down to uh, French Church Street in Cork and throw an axe. Good morning, John. Good morning, Fiona. John, axe throwing in Cork has become uh, quite a popular thing since you set up this business. So just tell me a little bit about uh, where you got the idea from, first of all. So for people who don't know, you have set up this, it's like a an axe throwing range, is it? That's correct. Yeah, on French Church Street, right in the city centre. And where did you get the idea from? Uh, two of my three sons were uh, recently in Canada and uh, they sent me a video of themselves. Uh, throwing axes there and they were having a ball and it was uh, a lot of fun for them and I thought to myself that's something that needs to go on here in Cork City. And what's the reaction been like since you opened up? Uh, We've been getting uh, absolutely uh, tremendous reaction because it's such a a unique and fun and stress relieving activity. Uh, We only opened a few months ago but uh, we've been uh, pretty much uh, fully, uh, fully booked up the entire time. You say stress relieving. So, you know, if somebody is kind of feeling really anxious or whatever and they just feel like, you know, okay, I need to hit something so they can just go in and fire an axe at a, at a target and relieve that stress. Is that the kind of idea behind it? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. And uh, the nice part about it is it's just as stress relieving and satisfying if the axe the axe actually sticks in the wall as it is if it doesn't. So it just... It's a very, it's a chemical free way of relieving your stress. And it's also popular with, um, I was reading there, with hen parties and birthdays and corporate events. So people can go, if they're looking for something different to do, they can go and as a group and have competitions to see who can hit the target with the axe. Is that the idea? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, Fiona, that's exactly right. We, uh, we have uh, four uh, axe throwing lanes. So four people can throw 
at the same time. But then there's an observation area in the middle where another group of people can be standing there with their team or their their coworkers and watching them while they're throwing and then they can trade off. So that uh, might, that might raise the anxiety the levels because if you see your <laughs> colleagues doing better than you. <laughs> yeah, it's a, you, can, you can make it competitive if you need to. But yeah, it's great for hen parties or stag parties. Um, and I think I read somewhere that um, for pre-pub events, so alcohol would definitely <laughs> not be advised for this. Yeah, yeah this is not Texas. Uh, you're not allowed <laughs> to drink uh, or have any kind of psychoactive medication before uh, getting an axe in your hand. So, okay, uh, yeah, I- this is definitely a pre-pub activity. And like when, because obviously, you know, there is this whole safety thing that was going through my head when I was reading this story about the axe throwing in Cork. So mm-hmm. when when you're on the lane, like, is there anybody near you? Like, there's no chance of the axe flying out of your hand in the wrong direction, is there? No, no, no. The entire place is over-designed and over-built for safety. There's no way you could, you can hurt yourself or anybody else. And the entire time you're throwing the axe... There's uh, an instructor there who's giving you pointers and making sure that you don't do anything unsafe. Okay, so you get a little bit of training before you go as well. Like you're not just handed the axe and said, here you go. (laughs) (laughs) No, absolutely. The first, uh, we actually asked people to come five or ten minutes early so that we can go through a whole safety briefing and make sure that everybody has fun. But more importantly, that uh, all of our guests and our staff are, are safe at all times. John, what is it about throwing an axe that is so appealing to people? <laughs> I don't know what it is, but uh, like I said, it's, it's just so cathartic. When that axe sticks in the wall, uh, it, you, you feel like a, a medieval Viking or something. It's, uh, it's very stress relieving and it's a unique activity. And why do you think like we, we you know, because when you say stress relieving, like if, if we have all this stress built up and doing an action like that, um, like why does it relieve so much pressure and so much stress out of our body by doing this physical act of throwing an axe? I think it's the physicality of it um, mm. because it's not like darts that, you know, just weigh a few ounces and it's a very fine finesse driven kind of activity. This is a very... Um, uh, visceral and uh, very physical kind of activity because the axes weigh uh, two or three kilos. It takes a lot of physical activity uh, to throw them down the lane, and uh, I think that has a lot to do with it. Why not just go bowling? <laughs> you, you know, you could, I guess, but uh, it's, when you get a strike in bowling, it's also uh, it's very uh, uh, satisfying. But yeah. uh, there's n- nothing quite as stress relieving or cathartic as. Uh, seeing that axe dig into the wood and uh, <laughs> you get the bullseye on the target. Absolutely, absolutely. And as you said, you're on French Church Street and um, it's yep. over Rebel Coffee. Correct. We're located over Rebel Coffee on French Church Street, right by the Paul Street parking lot. Okay. Uh, between and uh, Patrick Street and the Paul Street parking lot. And you have to be 18 to, to play this game. Yeah, it's not a kid's uh, activity. This is uh, something for grown-ups, uh, 18 plus only. Okay. And um, if people want to go, they obviously have to book beforehand as well. Yeah, they can book at axethrowingcork.com or they could buy gift vouchers for family and friends at this, on the website as well. The, the website also answers a lot of questions. If people are feeling trepidatious or scared about mm. uh, throwing an axe, they'll get all the information they need there. Brilliant. Thanks very much for explaining that to us, John. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Can we just talk? 
the opinion line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 0833969696. On Corks 96 FM. Now, if you're a fan of reality dating shows and you've been watching uh, Married at First Sight and Love Island, you'll be excited to know that there is a new show coming out and it's called Romeo and Duet and it's hosted by Strictly Come Dancing star Oti Mabusi and it's starting this weekend on ITV and there is a court contestant that's going to be on it and we're going to be speaking to him in a little while and um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, I don't know, I I don't know about you guys like do you watch reality dating shows um, what do you make of them I, I, I don't know if they're like running out of ideas or what but this one sounds um, it, it's Romeo and Juliet, Ju- and Duet so the singer is up on a balcony and um, they have to find their their perfect match so um, there will be four singletons who will be um, serenaded by four singers and if they like what they hear they make their way from the balcony down the stairs and they open a door and uh, unlock their, their the person who they thought had the best singing voice or singing voice that appealed to them. And uh, then they head off on a date and they sing a song together and then uh, they come back and... They then they, they may go decide to go on a second date, so um, I, like it's, it all sounds a bit mad. Like, but um, I don't know. Like, married at first sight just was completely crazy. I think that was the most off the wall dating show ever, where people just got married and they had no they had no idea what the other person was going to be like. Um, so at least with this one, they're not actually getting married; they're just going on a date. But yeah, the core contestant that we have uh, going to be on it, his name is Michael Crowley. And he is going to be on, um, the series starts this Saturday, but um, he's going to be on next Saturday, April 23rd. Um, He's from Middleton, but he's been living in uh, London for the last couple of years and uh, he is going to go on it. But we don't know how he is uh, going to do um, and we're hoping that uh, he'll do very well. So it's one to watch out for this weekend. You might watch the first one and then after that you uh, might have a chance to watch um, and see how Michael gets on on the show. And um, is he with me now? I'm not sure. I've just... Hold on a second. Oh, he is. Michael, good morning. Hello, Fiona. How are you? I'm very well, Michael. Sorry, I couldn't... Um, I lost my um, my documents there and I couldn't see if you were there or not. So good morning anyway, Michael. So, Michael, this show, I was just saying there that I just think that the dating reality shows have gone completely crazy. What did you make of this one? What appealed to this one um, for you and, and why you wanted to, to join? So, yeah, I mean, I to be honest, I did this one because I just love singing and this one kind of incorporates singing with dating. I was a bit nervous about the dating side of it because I struggled with dating at um, this stage. But basically, yeah, it was just the singing for me, the fact that it incorporates singing and I love singing and I thought, why not? Like, it's a bit of fun. Yeah. Why not do it? And get a date out of it then as well. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and so you had to apply and uh, you were obviously picked. So uh, what was your reaction when they said, yeah, yeah, come on, come on the show? So it's actually quite funny because I was looking online just, you know, for like the audience tickets to go see like the Graham Norton show or go see like Alan Carr. And on the website that I was looking at, there was this um, ad for Romeo and Duet. And it was saying like, oh, would you, are you a singer? Would you like to be on a new dating show? And I thought, why not? I might as well go for it and see what happens. And yeah, it, it was it was an amazing experience. Um, I obviously can't go too much into what happens mm. because you'll have to watch that to see. So we don't um, know yet if you got a date, if you were picked 
no, unfortunately, I can't say. <laughs> <laughs> and just even, uh, like, had you ever been on a blind date before? Never. I'm actually very bad with dating. I, I don't date that much. So it was quite, quite surreal experience. Um, yeah. And yeah, it was quite massive. But I mean, why not just throw yourself in there? Isn't that right? <laughs> well, sure. This is it. <laughs> if you don't try, you'll not know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I mean, like, you know, I mentioned there about um, married at first sight. Would you ever enter a contest like that? Um, I don't know, because I think to be to to not know someone and to be married to them is quite it's a loss, isn't it? So yeah. I don't know what I do something like that. Um, but yeah, no, it, this one was definitely a bit more of me. It was singing. It was just a date. Like, uh, obviously, I can't remember what happens, but mm. Yeah, it was it was a very good experience. I'm very honoured to. And then, yeah, like obviously, um, if there was some big agent who was watching it and said, "Oh, there's that Michael Crowley. He's lovely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's sign him yeah. up. He's a great singer." <laughs> yeah, I mean that would be amazing. That's what I'm hoping that will happen. That someone will see me on the show, or because I moved to London recently, and like I, it's my dream, my aspiration to become a singer um, since a very young age. So I'm hoping that it will open a lot of doors for me and yeah, see where it goes. Is it difficult to break into the music industry now? It is. I, well, I personally find it very hard because it's not like, you know, you go to school, you become a, a, like, you know, it's kind of set out for you if you want to become a lawyer or a doctor. It's very kind of like, there's no set route. So Mm. it's very hard to, and I mean, thousands, millions of people are going for it as well. So it is very hard. Um, but I'm I'm very happy. I'm very proud of myself for getting on the show, and you know, for out yeah. out of thousands of people, you know, it's it it is it's quite massive. So I'm very proud. <laughs> and so you should be. And before you went to London, you were in Barcelona. Is that right? You were studying in Barcelona. Yeah. So I studied in Barcelona for four years. I did a musical theatre degree in singing, acting, and dancing. Mm. So that was amazing by the beach it was yeah it was incredible <laughs> and were you just too busy then to start dating when you were over there uh, like I mean did the did the Spanish people not love this young man from Cork who were after, who was after coming over <laughs> <laughs> I mean I did I dated a bit um, I obviously didn't meet the one but yeah. yes I did date, date a bit of um, a, a, some Spanish people over there I didn't speak the language so it was quite hard right but yeah, it was it was fun. It was fun. And is it difficult? I mean, like no more than trying to break into the music industry. Is it like really, really difficult to find somebody because so many people now are dating online, or is it because do you know with the pandemic people weren't going out and it was very difficult to to meet people? Um, like you know, is it it's hard now? I think for young people to to meet people, isn't it? Hundred percent. I think definitely. Um, I like I find it very hard to date because like I don't really go on the apps that much I've, I'm kind of the person that I like to meet them in person and see if we get on and mm. you know if we're a match rather than doing it through a phone or a computer screen I find it's very robotic yeah um, but yeah no it, it is quite difficult in this day and age I think everyone kind of no one kind of settles down that much anymore you yeah. know it is very hard but we make the do and we make the best of it <laughs> and you're from Middleton um, like have you plans yeah. to come back or do you come over and back quite a bit um, I do. I kind of come back at Christmas or during the summer. My mother's actually getting married this summer, so I'll be coming back to oh, that. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, yeah. so exciting. 
that's lovely, isn't it? That's great. Congratulations yeah. to mum. <laughs> oh, thank you. She's listening now, so she'll be delighted. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Michael, mum. <laughs> that's fantastic that she's getting married. Fair play to her. Yeah, yeah, I'm delighted for her. I'm very happy for her. And uh, so, Michael, as we said, um, the show is called Romeo and Duet, and it's out on mm-hmm. ITV this Saturday. But you're not, not on this Saturday, you're on the following Saturday. Yes, so I'm on the 23rd of April, 7pm on ITV. Okay, so uh, we'll definitely uh, be watching out for you and we might have you back on again just to find out how you got on. Absolutely, yeah, definitely. I'd be honoured. Okay, fantastic. And we've just been told here that mum is Anne Crowley. And um, yeah. good, hi, Anne. How are you? So, <laughs> <laughs> okay, listen, best of luck with the show. And, um, you know, thanks, thanks for coming on the show with us this morning. We'll all be watching out for you on the telly. Fabulous. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate that. You're very, very welcome. And that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening to me over the last two days. PJ will be back on Tuesday and hopefully you all have a lovely Easter. Thanks, of course, as well to the team here, uh, Fergal Barry, Richard Vickery and Wayne Hilton. Enjoy your Easter and we'll talk to you again next Tuesday. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie I wake up every morning. Get even more of Casey and Ross in the morning on the Highlight Show. Your chance to catch up and listen again. Saturday between 9 and 10 a.m. Everything is just right. On Cork's 96FM. You're listening to highlights from the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Hear the full show on our app, by podcast, or on 96FM.ie. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.